Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space podcast. I'm your host, Mark Shapiro. My guest in this episode is Dr. Anthony Chinqui. And Dr. Chin Kui is an ear, nose, and throat surgeon who does all kinds of fun, pluripotent work in the space of creativity and writing and film and television production. He joins us today to talk about his book. It's a memoir called I Can't Save You. It is a powerful title, and the book is fantastic. Breaking down this book, which in and of itself is a production, it doesn't read like a, a, a contemporary book might. Lots of different styles, lots of different formats. It's an adventure in multiple dimensions, and it's really, really great. He, he executes this really complex story, his own personal memoir, brilliantly. Talking about it was, was really a treat. Lots of other kind of things on the side that we got to dive into, right? The challenges of being a resident, being a, a medical trainee. The interesting aspect of where he is now as a television writer who is part of the writers union currently on strike and kind of reflecting on what that looks like as more and more medical training programs and medical trainees form unions and just so much more. It's always fun when someone cranks out a book and we get to reflect on it and talk about where it is and kind of look at it from a perspective of situational awareness. And this is no different. Anthony's just an absolute blast to speak with, and I really enjoyed this. You are going to love it. Before we get to the episode, a reminder, Explore the Space podcast has a packed archive. We are at episode 326. Everything is available at www.explorethespaceshow.com. It's worth taking a look. It's all evergreen content with so many amazing conversations and incredible people if you're enjoying the TV show Ted Lasso, definitely go back and listen to the Med Lasso archive. You can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com, and you can hit me on Twitter at ETS Show, Instagram at Explore the Space Show. If you're interested in any of our incredible Explore the Space merchandise, go to www.explorethespaceshow forward slash merch. All right, all that said, let's just get straight to it. Here's Dr. Anthony Chinqui. Tony, welcome to Explore the Space podcast. I'm delighted you're here. Oh, me too. It's such a pleasure. We're in the space of I'm, I'm doing lots of things with authors. There's lots of healthcare professionals cranking out books right now. <laughs> the thing that I am the happiest about and your book falls in this space is they're all really different. We're mm. not seeing a tidal wave of my time in the COVID pandemic, which we'll get those books and that's totally fine. I like that we're seeing a really eclectic wave of authorship, of storytelling, of narrative. And as I want to talk about for your book, I can't save you the way the books themselves are constructed. It's, mm. it's fun. It's, are you seeing that same thing? Um, I think that I, I mean, I, I know when I started writing, I set out to write sort of a different sort of doctor memoir than I'd seen growing up. Um, like oh, you did. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and um, also, like, part of me telling my story is, you know, you know, a lot of the story is me understanding, you know, myself and the things I'm passionate about and the, you know, my the the artistry that's kind of at the heart of my soul. And so using artistry kind of as this backbone of how I wanted to construct 
the book was really was really a lot of fun um and i think it helped me to to elucidate certain situations and feelings a lot better but i think you know in the broader uh scope of you know books by doctors coming out i mean we're seeing you know we what was it like abraham varghese is is coming out with another book um you know we got a, a couple books you know about the pandemic lots of books by black doctors about their experience um and so it's really it's really wonderful shout out jasmine brown yeah did you read jasmine brown's book not yet it's on the shelf it's rad it's really good she came on explore the space a couple months ago right around the time it came out because i was a history major and so i love this sort of discussion of the history of medicine and you know as a history major and a doctor yeah. She's sharing all these things in her book. And I was like, yeah, no one ever, I never learned this stuff. Like this is, this is an illustration of the gaps that we have to fill. And she crushed it. It's a really good book. Yeah. Uh, another one that's super cool. My buddy, Ricardo Nuila's book, the people's hospital about Ben Taub, where I, I just, I just met Ricardo. Um, you did? Oh, cool. A couple weeks ago. Yeah. I was at, we were both at the LA times festival of books. Oh, and right. We're on the, we were on the same panel on the medical memoir panel. Um, oh, I'm so gonna text we, him as soon as we're yeah, done. That's he's, awesome. He's awesome. I met his wife. We were just chatting. Yeah, great. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's really cool. So we're look. We're here to talk about your book, but if, if you have the chance to read the People's Hospital, it's really, really interesting. It's Ben Taub is the backbone of my training. It's where I spent mm -hmm. two years of medical school every day I could because I loved it. It's an extraordinary place, and he captures the sort of challenges and aspiration that's within that building and the philosophy that's there. And it's it's just it's just wonderful. One of the things about this book that, that grabbed me right from the get-go, and look, it's, it's not a platitude. The title of the book is interesting, and I've actually been wrestling with it from before I read the book to being done with it. Who are you talking about? I can't save you. Who is I and who is you? Like, is it, are you, I am, walk me through, it, it, can, get, it can get pretty meta. It can get a little twisted. It can get, it can get a little meta. Um, I've heard a lot of people, as, as I've been talking about the book with folks, you know, a lot of people had their, their different interpretations. Okay, but, good. I'm not alone. Because I was yeah, like, am I, not, the only one not like, am I not um, getting something? Yeah, no. Um, both I and you are me. So basically, it's a, it's a, it's a statement I'm saying to myself. Um, and then once I say that to myself, that's kind of, you know... I kind of like push that outward. So the whole book is really about how do I learn to save myself in this world where I'm asked to save others. And if I can't save myself, I can't save others. So it's kind of both to me as that I envision it as to me, but you know, as you tell out the story, it's to my patients too, in which case, you know, I've had a lot of people like read the title and they're just like, whoa, you know, that's not, you know, something you want to hear doctors say about themselves or, uh, you know, in any, in any case, and I was like, well, yeah, of course it's not something you want to hear, but that's, some, that's a lot of time just how it feels. The two pronoun use, are you familiar with Muhammad Ali? I don't know a lot of his quotes, but go okay, for it. So he has a famous <laughs> poem. It's a two word poem and it's, it's me, we, hmm. And it, if you Google Muhammad Ali, me, we, that's his poem. And it's like one of the most famous, two, it's two pronouns. And when I saw this, I wondered if you'd somehow been inspired or connected with that. It was, before, it was obviously well before he died. And, you know, he would say things that were hard to interpret. And he would say things that I think he was on a, another level in so many ways. I liked connecting you with that. 
Um, I like kind of putting you on that level. And it was after I'd read the book that I was like, wait, this is like ringing a bell. I'm a huge sports fan. And I enjoyed his learning about his career because most of his career preceded me. You know, he was wrapping up when I was a little kid. So all of like the big fights and the big moments were well before I was born. But I liked connecting that with the the me we poem. Yeah, I mean, I'll take that connection. That wasn't my <laughs> that wasn't my intention, but I'll, I'll be in the conversation with Muhammad Ali. That's that's totally there. You fine. go. I like it. I like it. Okay, there's 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 something that you do in this book that I am enjoying so much that lots of authors I think are trying to experiment with and you do at a really, really high level. Mm. I like the eclectic way that you have composed the book. It's not chapter by chapter by chapter by chapter. There are chapters. There are uh, parts of a screenplay. There are poems. There's my favorite thing, which are footnotes. I love when people put footnotes. <laughs> Shirley Bobi in her book, lots of footnotes. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the playful footnote technique. It's super fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I, how, how much did you really want to kind of spend time in that space of this is not going to be the conventional linear narrative that we're used to? Because like the cover of the book shows, right, this is not a linear story. Yeah. How intentional was that? 100%. That was my intention 100%. Yeah. from, from yeah. before I began. Um, yeah. I was just like, how do I, it all, you know, began with me thinking about what's the best way to tell these stories yeah. and what's the best way to reflect my mindset at yes. that time, given that yeah. as I was writing it, I'd already gone through everything. I came out the other side. And so I was trying to be like, okay, let's get into the mind of me when I'm going through this particular struggle and how would I have, if I had the words at the time, how would have, how I would have expressed it? So expressed it. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, I, you know, I, there's a lot more footnotes towards the beginning when I'm just like kind of more naive and playful and kind of not taking myself all that seriously. Oh, and then they kind of that. taper off yes. as the book goes on. And, yes. you, know, there's, you know, there's, uh, you know, that I struggle with you know, the, the poems and, and that sort of thing and like the artsy stuff near the beginning, but then they start to take more shape and start to instruct, you know, the construction of the chapters more as we go along, as I kind of come into my own um, and realize that those are parts of me that need uh, to be utilized in order for me to kind of um, understand myself at the time and, and move forward. And so I was so thinking sort about of your all- own evolution as a person are reflected in the unique ways of telling that's yeah. super cool. Okay, so then here's my follow-up question then. Yes. If I was to take your book as a PDF uh-huh. and I was to cut and paste if, and I was to cut out each section where it's a, a screenplay or it's that like conversation where there's like the line in bold, the call and response, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. If I was to take those all out and connect them into one story that I read straight across with nothing, would it connect, would it be a single narrative? That's a great question. Um, I think that if you took it all would. that stuff out. I think it would totally work. I think you'd see the whole story. Yeah, I, I do totally. think. I think the, the heart, the real heart of the story is in those moments. And you, you talked about, like, the bolded inner voice parts that I kind of argue with yes. myself. Like, you know, you would definitely, I think you definitely see the story. If you just. I think it would be out. really cool, like, as an exercise, not as like a cliff notes. It's not a cop out. Uh-huh. But especially the call and response with your inner voice mm-hmm. to have that be like 
I don't know what's the right word like um not amalgamated you know what I'm talking about like just put together yeah. um and see because I think it would translate but I think it would be like telling the story in a totally different direction I don't know I just loved it and I know you're a very creative person and you're now writing for TV so we get to talk about these sort of different approaches but that's why I like the the device that you use because it really allows me as the reader to be playful while I'm reading a very intense, not playful story. So it's almost relaxing um, mm-hmm. in a way it's, while it's I'm experiencing actually, something that's not. Yeah, it actually, like as far as, you know, that inner voice back and forth and how that evolved, that was kind of in one permutation. It was there from the beginning, but I kind of augmented it as I went along and edited because originally, like, I had it as me talking to the reader, um, as me, like, just playful, almost like a stand-up, you know, like, interacting oh. with an audience. Um, like kind of breaking the third wall or whatever. Yeah, say. yeah, exactly. And then okay. I realized as I was going through it, and you know, as my editor kept yelling at me to kind of go deeper into stuff, <laughs> um, I realized I was kind of missing an opportunity there. And I was just like, hey, wait a second. You know, the person I should really be having these asides to you know, is me. Um, And and, and to the part of me that maybe knows better, but, you know, I'm going to fight with. And I think that is a struggle that I think a lot of people might recognize in themselves. So that really, that realization kind of opened up, you know, the book for me. As you're having realizations and kind of trying to figure out how to put this together in the sort of mosaic type of way, I I wonder how much of the barrier, and I don't want to just put my own suppositions on it. I feel like one of the things that happens in medical training is we are, maybe not intentionally, at least what I experienced was the sense that we need to sublimate our own selves in pursuit of the craft and that sometimes our own needs need to be sublimated or put second, um, that we give up a lot. And we're also, I think, taught in a variety of different ways that our own story is one that we shouldn't, that isn't necessarily widely shared or thought through. Um, And so breaking through that and going all the way to the other end of the spectrum and sharing with this level of kind of transparency and intensity, when did that happen? When did that, like, what was the progression for for that for you to say, I'm going to do this? Was it like a light bulb moment or was there sort of a a, a runway of things that sort of built up to saying, you know, fuck it. I got to, I have a story and I need to tell it about, about me. Yeah. I think it's a kind of a combination of both. So I, I always tell folks, I remember exactly when I realized I wanted to write the book. Um, okay. And it's at a point right in the middle of the actual, <laughs> the book story. Um, so basically it was when I was in a really big major depression episode and I was, you know, in the middle of residency, I was asked to leave because I failed my step three and I was in Mexico by myself trying to figure out how to like stay alive. And, um, you know, I, I remembered in that moment, you know, just how very much I, I used to love telling stories and I was always really good at it. You know, I loved performing. I love music, like all that sort of stuff that I felt had kind of been stomped out of me on the journey. Um, and once I thought about that, I was like, okay, well, what's a story I could tell? And, you know, realizing that, you know, I hadn't grown up on stories that talk about the medical journey and the way that I had experienced it. Um, I thought that, you know, maybe that was the story I could tell and people might respond to it. And also, you know, 
not just tell a story, but tell a story in a way that was really honest and, and probably like just, you know, didn't make me look good at, at a lot of points. And, you know, if I, if I never got another job because of how I told the story, then, you know, whatever, I'd be proud of it. Um, and hopefully people would, would see that and recognize that. And so I started, I, I made the decision that, you know, once I get through training, I'm going to write this book, but on the way, starting now, I'm going to start, you know, taking note of the moments that I think are shaping me as, as I go along. Um, and so I would try to just make notes and of patients and of situations and the way I was feeling all of the songs, all the poems, all the everything like that was, those were things written at those moments, like at the time I didn't fill them in on the back end or anything like that. Um, and you know, it, knowing that I had that goal ahead of me got me through another two and a half years to three years. Um, and so that was, that was kind of the birth of it. It's an interesting progression. I would imagine, but again, I don't want to guess like w on the scale of hard things you've done crafting this, where would it rank? <laughs> I think that ultimately it would rank it would rank near the top, but it's not the hardest thing I've ever done because writing and telling these stories is really just a wonderful release for me. And uh -huh. the, 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 the decision to be honest wasn't hard, but where I had to do a lot of work personally and with my therapist is realizing what real honesty meant. There were early drafts of this book where I thought I was being honest and I, I dealt with, you know, whatever issues and that sort of thing. But the, the degree to which I still had work to do was apparent in how I wrote these stories. You know, I wanted it to, you know, I was still angry about certain things as I was writing them and it was coming off super caustic in a way that I didn't, I didn't want it to. Um, and so I was just like, oh, you got some work to do. You got some stuff you still need to talk about before you're ready to share this with other people. Because I realized, and I tried to keep this in mind as I went, but you know, if you're writing a book for other people, you can't be writing a book as therapy for yourself. You got to go through the therapy first um, so that you can share it with people. Um, you can bring them in, but you're not unloading, you know, your unfinished business on them. So it was kind of like this. That's a very, tough balance. It's a to tough struggle. balance, a tough yeah. title. But, you know, uh, I tried to use that as my as my guiding light. And yeah, you know, so that was that was the hardest part of it, I think. All right. Uh, so then juxtaposing the sort of. Uh, the sort of like philosophical component to a part of the story. And I, I, and I, I only like to do the little bit of this actually going into the book of like some actual nitty gritty stuff. Uh -huh. You break down a couple com key components of life, food, laundry, bills, <laughs> and my mom's birthday. And anyone who has gone through medical training can attest to how your relationship with food, laundry, bills, and let's just call it important life milestones yeah. gets really fucked up. And oh, yes. <laughs> you can easily forget a birthday and you will miss a lot of important occasions and your relationship with food unless you pay very careful attention, will get upside down in a hurry. Mm -hmm. The one I really want to hone in on, though, is financial literacy. Mm. Um, but before we hit financial literacy, as you were writing these, did you expect us to laugh? Did you expect us to go, oh, 
Did you expect, what were you trying to evoke? Cause I had all of it. I had, Oh yeah. my God. He sees my laundry pile. Like, <laughs> Oh, the other one page two ninety nine. after something difficult had happened. And we went in search of empty carbs. It's like, <laughs> it's like you were talking directly to me. I loved empty yes. carbs. The, the search for the empty carbs. Yeah. Nailed it. Yeah. But like what, 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 what are we trying to evoke as we're laying out food, bills, laundry, and my mom's birthday? Yeah, so I that was honestly one of my favorite parts to write because it's I was just, really, really great. <laughs> I, was, I was like, listen, anybody who's been anywhere near hospital life knows exactly what I'm talking about. Legit. And, the search yeah, for quarters to do laundry. Oh, my yeah, Lord. that was just oh, I remember I remember laughing at myself at the time. Yeah. I would just sit back like a lot of these things, like when I had to like you know, pay for a gallon of gas with loose change, you know, like I was just like, Total. this is ridiculous. What's going on? <laughs> like how, what is my life that I've gotten to this point where I'm yeah. digging in a fucking, you know, tub of loose change to throw pennies <laughs> oh at a guy working at a gas station so I can drive to work tomorrow. Like this is, this is ridiculous, but like it was I was the center console dive. I had the center yeah. console in my car that I'd be like, Oh God. And then you just have to like rummage and there's all sorts of weird ephemera. I'm like, the last seven days have been odd. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude. Like, so the thing with my change bucket, for some reason, over the course of me moving a lot of places, it, yeah. it turned out to be where I both kept my loose change and also where I decided to keep all of my thumbtacks because I didn't know oh, how no, to, no. To, to travel with them. So I just threw them in there. To put ow, up posters, ow, ow, and then ow. every once I needed change, like yeah. it was just getting between the thumbtacks. Oh and God, you're making it harder it for really yourself. Just ridiculous. But uh, what, like, what, what was moments, the empty carb of choice, though? What was the empty carb of choice? The empty when the time carb, came. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, in the hospital, you know, we had a subway, and so oh, we, that okay. was, it was one of those things where you can convince yourself you're eating something yeah. reasonable but you're not but we'd eat chocolate oh, chip cookies from subway yeah. all day long and i'd go to white castle all the time after work like at 10 in the morning um all right which was just it just reminded me of home because we have them in brooklyn yeah. and so yeah you know that was that was honestly my like that's where i got my i call them my rage fries you know at, at the call <laughs> and i needed french fries so yeah <laughs> I always liked the the single serving breakfast cereals. I always enjoyed those. I I'll, yeah. I use the past tense. I still love them. They're awesome. It's okay. The like that's okay. The one frosted flakes bucket. The one you know what I'm you know the the little peel back <laughs> lid. Yep, you peel it up. Uh -huh. Yep, for sure. Yeah. Those are yeah, those are I'll... those are great. But my my favorite moment with the empty carbs, I was post call and it was rough, and um I had gone to the store and bought um. Were they healthy choice? One of the frozen foods that ostensibly is like less of all of the yeah. things that are bad for you. I was uh, like, Mark, you've really got to get it together. So I, I healthy choice. <laughs> I finished it. I when I say I threw it in the garbage, like I touchdown spiked it into the garbage, <laughs> called round table, large pepperoni, hammered it, whole thing, went to sleep feeling terrible. It was awesome. Oh my god. You just you, these are the calls, but like and I and in, in sharing those stories. I knew they were funny, you know, but and kind of like tragic, but you know, I wasn't necessarily trying to write them as like, hey, laugh at me. It was just like, hey, I understand that this is absurd, but I also understood at the time that I felt like I didn't have any other option or any other choice. 
you sure. know. So, that, so, so then let's talk a little bit about financial literacy, because I feel like you presented that as a real, let's call it a place of uh, an opportunity for improvement in how yeah. healthcare trainees from really from college onward, but certainly in medical school, residency, fellowship and early career and mid late career attendings, financial literacy. What is your perspective on how much that is taught from a practical from the you know just the really practical pieces i think that well i remember our you know we had we had like an hour-long talk about it the last week of med school is how i remember it um like yeah. when you're about, to, exit you're interview. about to yeah yeah you're, it's basically your exit interview and they're just like oh okay so it's just kind of talking about how to pay back loans or how to not pay back loans <laughs> how to pay back your um, loans yeah. for sure <laughs> but you know it's not about how to form your budget. Um, yeah. It's not about how to navigate, uh, pay, uh, you know, your your other sorts of loans, like your credit card debt. Like, you know, I was just like, and and the thing is, like, I felt like I was kind of left to figure it out on my own, not only because med school didn't teach it. And there's, you know, there's questions as to how much responsibility they have to us to teach that. I think That's they should. The thing. But, but, you know. It was really about where I came from and what my family knew and what they imparted to me. And I think some folks grow up with, you know, that sort of literacy in the house. But when I'm the first person going through the circumstances that I'm going through in my family and I'm, you know, it's not just going into medicine, it's moving across the country like nine times, you know, like by yourself, you know, figuring out how to eat food, how to budget food and pay bills and, you know, pay them on time and all that sort of stuff, you know, um, it was really up to me to kind of figure out on the fly. And I feel like a lot of people feel that way. And the problem is when you're in residency, there's just no time to learn it. You know, you make, you make a couple quick decisions in the month you have between your graduation and residency starting. And then you hope you did the right thing because from then yeah. on you're on the train and it's just, it's rolling. I, I, I do think though, your point about how much responsibility do they have? It's really easy to just sort of, you know, beat your chest and say they are obligated. I think it's important to sound that note of like, look, there is some shared responsibility. We're also adults, but there's a chance there, there are places where some counseling could be provided. Some hard skills could be offered. I remember when I was finishing residency, I, had that I was asked to speak to the incoming intern class as an outgoing resident who wasn't going to still be there because I wasn't staying on as faculty and I wasn't going to be chief resident. And I was like, yeah, I'd love to. That sounds great. And I gave the talk about all the, you know, just what I thought were sort of the hard skills around the inpatient stuff. But I remember at one point I said, all right, I want to just pivot. Here's your dentist. And I gave them all the name and number of the dentist that I'd use. And it was almost like a hand me down because the, one of the someone that I had met when I was just starting to the, I have never seen a room snap to attention faster <laughs> than when I said, all right, here's your dentist and, and here's the phone number. And I wish I could have that talk back because all I would do is here's your dentist. Here's what to think about in terms of your budget. Here's here's how to optimize when you have a day off. Like, how do you take care of yourself? The hard skills that go unspoken um, that are so important bills, family, laundry. Uh, I would love to have that hour back. Yeah. Oh, I, I think 
those moments, I mean, we should have more than just one of those talks in all of med right. school, right? Because, yeah, you know, yeah. um, I just wish uh, folks were thinking about that stuff a little bit earlier on because you're already starting to deal with, you know, all of those stresses while you're in med school, even though you're kind of, you have this little bit of student protective bubble, but you know, those you're, you're, you're you moved to wherever you need to go to med school. You're figuring stuff out yeah. on your own. You're, you know, the workload is piling up. So, you know, it's kind of the training wheels version of what you're about to go into. But, you know, if you don't have like kind of a plan in place, you know, it's hard to figure it out on your own because you're going to just prioritize where the next bite is coming from, you know, uh, where totally. the next gallon of gas is coming from and, uh, you know, making structural changes to how you live your life every day is it feels too big and you don't have the time or energy. No, I think that that's the key part. Mm-hmm. I, I just I hope that the philosophy around how to support those domains continues to get better. I know it's better than when I trained. I trained before you. I know it's better now than it was then, and I'm glad for that. And I think that's that it. you pointing it out in this book in the way that you did it, right, in that non-judgmental, playful, but still this is a real issue way, it really resonated. And I thought it was a really intelligent addition to to the narrative. I do want to pivot a little bit because we don't have like, I don't get to do a three volume podcast with you as much as I want to. Um, but the, the, the evolution of your life now mm-hmm. you're working as a TV writer and this yes. book is all about training. Mm-hmm. One of the key things that is coming up in the world of medical training in the United States right now is whether or not residents and trainees should be unionizing. Um, and there are programs where there are now unions. There are programs that want to form unions. And there are programs that are somewhere else on the journey. Yeah. It's, it's a question that is not going to go away. Um, I think my, my take is it's probably going to continue to grow in importance. And there will be more programs that go through that evolution. You are currently on strike. As a, as, as a screenwriter, as a writer, you yeah. are currently on strike. And I wonder if you can kind of reflect back on your journey as a medical trainee to someone who now, as a professional screenwriter, is part of a strike, is part of a strike action to change the workplace environment. How, how do they kind of line up for you? Yeah, I mean, I this is the first time I'm part of a union and the okay. first time I've ever been on strike. And yeah. I love it, man. I think it's just really? so, I think it's incredible just the power of a collective you know what i mean a collective that's been exploited and the reason i think the reason why i feel so strongly is because of medical training because i just i think about medical training all the time and the thing about being in residency is that you're this workforce that you're that your their bosses and the the hospital know have nowhere else to go you have to stay no matter what, if you want to get board certified, if you want to practice, you got to stay. You can't go anywhere else. And so that situation, that imbalance is how exploitation happens. I mean, you know, it's just it's just the nature of capitalism, really. So they're going to try to squeeze whatever they can out of this workforce that they know they hold captive, you know, um, and that's why I. I loved seeing, you know, these these stories of, of unions of, of medical trainees sort of coming together um, and and building. I know it's just like institution by institution now, but um, the, just the fact 
that some of the these institutions were uh, uh, maybe open uh, to having this. Uh, maybe they're not happy about it now that they said yes, but you know, maybe that they were open to allowing you know union organization. Um, I think that it can only get better uh, for trainees because this is something I was talking to another student about when we were actually talking about, you know, how do I call out as a black resident or, or med student, the injustices, you know, that I see, you know, in the hospital every day, you know, towards patients, toward me, toward staff, that when every time I open my mouth, you know, I get stomped down or I get demerits or I get, you know, kind of scolded and that sort of thing. And I was like, well, you know, you got to think about it in kind of broader and like larger terms. Like there are plenty of fights you're going to lose and that you have to know you're going to lose when you are just one person. But if you put focus and energy also into corralling other people uh, around you uh, to think and talk about and take action against the same sorts of things, that's when, you know, if you get loud enough with enough people, that's when the, the big wigs are going to have to start listening. Um, and so, you know, it's some, you know, maybe I'm a, I don't know, maybe I'm communist, but like, it's just like, it's just, it's the sort of, like, I just think there's so much power in collective action. I was so galvanized um, towards that. Uh, I think because I was sort of radicalized in residency because of how it's structured. And so that's why I'm just so thrilled to be part of a, a workforce that's just like, you know what? We've been, you know, the writing's been on the wall. We're being mistreated. We're just, just going to withhold our work and show you the devastation that that can cause until you come back to the table and, you know, allow us to be treated as humans. And so I guess that's my, uh, my stance on unionization. <laughs> It, it's fascinating. And I, and I, I love that. First of all, I appreciate you speaking so frankly about it. I think that the experience of someone who is in both of those pools, very uncommon, right? A recent mm-hmm. medical trainee who is now part of the WGA strike. Um, it's just a really interesting reflection. And I think as this goes on, I, I mean, as someone who enjoys your work, I'd love it if this was something you were you know writing about or sharing or in some format talking about I think I think it'll further the dis- the discussions around how do we allow the workforce of medical trainees to have the right level of empowerment and also to navigate these things in a way that are protective of what we're supposed to be doing which is taking care of a lot of people right the system currently is designed to take care of a lot of people on the mm-hmm. backs in large many ways of the medical trainees that are doing it um a, a rupture there would be a real challenge um, yep. And I, I, I get that. And I also, man, hearing you talk about it and reading this book um, and full disclosure, I didn't know you were part of the strike until we just started recording. And I was reading this book being like, man, I really understand where this drive towards unionization in medical training yeah. is coming from. Mm-hmm. Now, understanding this juxtaposition, uh, if you were going to write an afterword, would that be something you would write about? When we get the, uh, what, what do they call it? The expanded edition. The expanded. The, 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 the director's the, cut. The director's cut. Um, possibly. You know, I, I know when I was writing this, my goal um, as I went on was not to, like, make it an indictment of medical training. Just 
an indictment of medical training. I think there are other authors uh, and other writers who who want to and can do that. I wanted to make something a little more personal um, and, you know, ho- hopefully kind of bring those questions to light with the stories that I told and, and the way I'd gone through. But, you know, I, I'm sure there's a creative way I could talk about unionization in an, in an, uh, you know, an appendix, um, <laughs> that I, that I, that I throw down. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I've had, I've had, this is the first of those requests that I've fielded. So I'm going to have to think about it. All right. But, I know. hope you get more. I hope you get more. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a unique perspective. I think, you know, it's yeah. the sort of thing that like the long form journalism, you know, when authors write in, I don't know, the Atlantic or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are the sorts of pieces I think that are really, really uh, insightful. And it also then allows us access to the authors that we like while they're in the midst of whatever's coming next. Speaking of which, where do people find I Can't Save You? Where do they follow you so that they can keep track of what's next? So I Can't Save You is available now. It's available everywhere that books are sold, wherever you get it, Amazon, Barnes Noble, local uh, independent bookstores, which I highly recommend. Um, if you like it as an audio book, it is also available, and I'm the one who narrates it, so you'll get to hear me talk. Oh, rad. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay, so cool. it's, yeah, I've, I've heard that it's a cool experience. I can't listen to my own voice that long, but people, <laughs> people have told me that it's, that it's, that it's uh, sweet. So, um, so, yeah, you can get it anywhere as far as where you find me. I'm trying to be better about being on this social media business. Um, so I'm, I'm on Twitter. You can search my name, Anthony Chinqui, or my handle is at CQ underscore underscore md and i'm also on instagram uh where you can look up you know anthony chinqui and you'll find me um so that's that's how you that's how you chat with me that's awesome we will uh we'll have all that in the show notes as well this was great man i really enjoyed it i appreciate you you doing the book it's a fun ride I, i mean the story is it's a lot and it's an important story the way that you told it though uh there's a level of creativity and respect that I, I i found really really compelling this was this was great and getting to chat with you is just awesome so thank you amazing thank you so much i'm so glad you you enjoyed it and i hope other people do too my thanks once again to tony for joining me on this episode of explore the space podcast there's links in the show notes to his book if you have not already gotten yourself a copy please do so it is a treat to read and obviously speaking with him was just an absolute blast Check out the archive of Explore the Space podcast if you haven't already, www.explorethespaceshow.com. The whole archive is there. The merchandise store is there. Lots of great things to look through and to enjoy. Please do take a minute, share Explore the Space podcast with your friends, your colleagues, your family, anyone who you think might be interested. That really helps us out. Please do also subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to make sure that you don't miss any of our episodes. And if you have a chance to leave us that five-star rating and a review, that really does help us out. So thank you in advance for that. You can hit me on Twitter at ETS Show, Instagram at Explore the Space Show, and of course you can email me, Mark at ExploreTheSpaceShow.com. Hope you all are having a great summer. We will be back with more Explore the Space podcast content. Until then, take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, ExploreTheSpaceShow.com, and please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.